Hello, my name is John O'Connell, and welcome to AMX Fika Leadership Podcast. So over these podcasts, I'll be speaking to some inspirational and innovative data and analytic contributors from across industry and the health and care sectors. I'll be asking each of them to share with us some of the exciting work they have underway, which is helping to shape the health and care analytics space, as well as asking some of them their motivational insights into their career paths to date. So why FICA? FICA is a social phenomenon in Sweden, I thought I'd borrow. It's a legitimate reason to set aside some really quality time to catch up with friends, family and colleagues over a coffee and a cake. So with uh, Toby and myself today, I'm delighted to be joined by Peter Spilsbury, uh, the Director of the Strategy Unit. So welcome, Peter. Great welcome, to have Peter. you here. Thank you. Yeah, Max. Um, yeah, so perhaps I think the most important question, uh, AMX Fika, Fika is about having a break with uh, tea and coffee with friends. Uh, I've got a ginger nut. What would you normally have with your tea and coffee? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's a really tough one. Uh, probably a digestive biscuit if I could yeah. find one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, Peter, no, thanks for, for joining <laughs> the call. Really good to have you on board. And just running through, you know, you, you've you've had an extensive career in the NHS. You, you you've worked with hospitals, uh, health authorities, regional health authorities, and primary care trusts across the West Midlands, and it, and also you've you know held uh, numerous director roles, leading sort of commissioning front planning and strategy, with extensive you know uh, experience on program leadership and assurance, and really keen to sort of get your observation over those sort of thirty seven years, you know. Peter, what you, you think is kind of constitute, constitutes sort of good analysis, analysis, so we say, and what doesn't, maybe? Okay. <clears throat> so, um, so when I joined the NHS yeah. in 1983, um, they hadn't invented management. It's quite interesting. So at that time, we were administrators. So, I, so I joined. I joined on the National Administrative Training Scheme, as it was known then. The NHS was run by district administrators with hospital administrators accounting them. And then Roy Griffiths came along and invented management, so everyone became managers. Um, but anyway, uh, just, just worth sharing that. So I was a gnat. Um, the reason why I joined the NHS was, um, was a passion for public service, but also um, an interest in the ethics of resource allocation. And the idea that um, this fascinating endeavour that we're all part of, um, you know, where effectively we pool our resources as citizens, about, I don't know, 1,850 quid a year each on average, pooled into the NHS, one pound in every 15 in the UK economy, going through this enterprise, that, 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 it, that, that it posed a whole series of fascinating questions about the appropriate use and the effective use of resources. And I was doing economics and so on at, at uh, university at that time. So I joined the NHS and I came on the national scheme. And the first job I got given was to try and uh, allocate consultant car parking spaces. So I knew I'd arrived. <clears throat> but anyway, after a few years, because things moved slowly in those days, I got involved in specialised services in the Midlands. And I, I found myself in a situation it was a very challenging situation because I found myself ultimately having to um, fight against my own employer. 
So, so the regional health authority in the West Midlands at that time um, decided it would suspend funding for dialysis. So it decided it had run out of funds for dialysis, literally, and that they would not allow anyone else to be taken on to dialysis that year. Um, and I was, I found this very problematic because because what I felt they were doing was failing to understand the dynamics of renal dialysis and the fact that um, in a successful program, particularly at that time, when we were early stages of development, that they didn't understand that it wasn't that the renal consultants were being bad people and racking up deficits. It was that patients had the irritating tendency to survive beyond a year and that there was a growing pool of survivors. And so for me, there was a complete failure of the system to properly understand the dynamics of how of how that that it was responsible for was working. So I ended up working with the renal consultants anyway, to, to on that and developing some dynamic models and, and ultimately got people to understand that what we were experiencing is what you would expect to experience and to think, actually to start thinking about what were the challenges of how to fund that properly, prospectively, given, given the pool dynamics. So anyway, the, re the reason why I, I suppose I started with that um, was because it goes back to your question of um, the nature of analysis, really. So, so for me, um, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if this isn't a novel proposition, yeah. but anyway, I'll, just, I'll say it anyway. Um, analysis is, is a response to a question. And its only purpose is to generate, is to help make a decision, uh, or possibly to understand whether a decision that's been made has worked or not. And so, so there is a there there is a necessary and fundamental interconnection between those two things. Analysis sitting in isolation is pointless. Um, but similarly, analysis that uh, people who are asking questions who aren't thinking carefully about their questions, or people who stimulate loads of analytical effort without having thought enough about the question or what they're going to do with the answer, I think are causing a huge waste of resources. So, so my interest has always been about how do you get, how, how can you get quickly to the people who've got the greatest insight about the questions that are useful to be answered? How do you think about that from a value of information point of view? And what I mean by that is um, the, the reason for doing analysis and looking at data is to try and reduce uncertainty around decisions. So you need to go through a process of working out whether the cost of that data and of doing the analysis is worth the reduction in uncertainty. But, you know, that's a, that's a commonplace notion in science. But it's not doesn't seem to be a commonplace notion in NHS decision making. So to do that and 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 try to try to get to a point where having worked out a useful question, you then make sure that you've got people, analysts, who've got the technical skills to know how to manipulate data in a way that's useful for that particular question but also have what I would call the craft skills to know how to do that in conjunction with the decision makers, the clinicians, whatever it is, so that they understand the context for their work um, and they 
can take part in in reaching some views about what to to do as a consequence of the analysis they've undertaken. So, you know, for example, and I th I'm sure this is common, but in my own team, in the strategy unit, if, if we, so we, so we're set up to work uh, on, on project, we, we, we have to get people to pay us for doing projects. We're NHS staff, we're all NHS salaries, but, but, but we, we have to cover our costs through doing paid projects. Um, I can't think of any project that the team would do analytically where they don't start by going to the literature, they don't start by developing a really broad understanding of the topic they're going to be addressing. Um, uh, and also understanding what's been said about, what's been learned about that topic before. So they're not just jumping in, they're, they're kind of thinking about their work in the context of what precedes them. And, and it seems to me it's that kind of... Um, uh, appetite for learning and um, is, it is fundamental, really. And 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 I suppose you know, particularly your question. You know, I, I would I would I would say to any kind of analyst at any part of their career, try and find somewhere to work yeah. where that is encouraged. Yeah, it's, it's kind of that step, stepping back a bit, isn't it? As well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Sorry, I'm going to a halt at that point. But I, what, yeah. what, yeah, I could say more. No, and you mentioned as well something. Sorry, the, my audio is not working. Is it coming through all right? Right. Yes, it is. Yes. Yep, yep. Yeah, you mentioned something about the absurdity of you know people looking for that single version of the truth, and it, in a sense, what does that mean to you? That, that... Okay. Well, I'll get slightly. Well, yep. maybe slightly philosophical here, but um, it is a common phrase. You hear people say it a lot. What we need is the single version of the truth. Mm. I think what they mean is we ought to have a common data source from which we try and draw our insights. But first of all, if I, you know, if I ask the question, how many people are on this call now? Is there a single version of the truth of the answer to that, to that yeah. question? No. But the questions that we're really interested in, like should we spend more money on mental health or on children? There is no single version of the truth to a question like that. Yeah. So, so, so the, the, the purpose of analysis in that context is to help people chart their way through to making a reasonable decision on behalf of the citizens they serve and to evidence that they've done so. You know, there are a few technical questions, there are a few where you can say there is one answer. But, you know, if you think of COVID, um, you know, we, there's so many things that are unknown and are remain unknown about COVID that the most useful thing at the beginning probably would have would have been to have deliberately invited multiple perspectives on the possible course that the pandemic might follow, inviting each of the teams that did that to set out the methods and assumptions that underpinned it, and to form a kind of collective view about the likely range of possibilities and the things, the key factors that may determine that or not, and then to track how reality runs against that. Um, so I, I just think that um, you know we're operating in a in, we're operating in a complex system with a lot of uncertainty, yeah. and I want an, an analysts to be really strong at working with decision makers to set out the range of uncertainty. And to get yeah. them and to help them understand that the various scenarios that could, that could exactly. pan out yeah exactly yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And Which that means, wins. Yeah. That means if you're going to do that kind of thing well, then um, some of the other things that I'm kind of very keen on around, you know, we should never have a piece of analysis that doesn't properly, well, yeah, a piece of analysis that doesn't properly document the assumptions and the methodological choices that have been made and yeah. implications yeah. of those choices. Again, just like an academic paper. Mm. What, what what are the known weaknesses of this way of addressing it? What might the implications of those be? And what might you want to do should you feel the need to reduce some of those uncertainties? You know, that ought to be commonplace um, in how we conduct our analytical work. That kind of nicely leads into, I mean, you wrote, you wrote a really good blog, blog recently, I think it was last week, that you were mentioning again about, you know, a learning NHS and black box analysis aren't compatible. Mm. It kind of falls in, into that as well, doesn't it? Uh, and on that that sort of subject as well, what, what were you trying to, sort of, what were the key points on that that you, you were drawing out about the incompatibility? Yeah. yeah. Well, if it, a fundamental premise as part of the scientific method yeah. is that you conduct ex an experiment and you set out the way you've done it in such a way that others then try to replicate those findings and build on them you know that, that is a fundamental plank of the scientific method it'll be a fundamental plank of how we've raced to develop these vaccines um now i think if we want the health service to be a learning system which everyone says they do then it's important that when any significant analysis is done that the way in which it's been done, it's the similar point to four, is fully documented and fully shared. Um, now, because you want other analysts, if they're going to use those approaches, to be able to understand them, understand the assumptions, and work out the extent to which those are or aren't applicable to the context they're trying to deploy it. Now, in a way, you might think, well, that's a completely uncontroversial thing to say. That's completely obvious. But I'm afraid one of my observations from 37 years in the NHS is the NHS has an enormous propensity to spend vast sums of money on analysis and tools developed by external parties that most definitely don't share their assumptions or how they've done it. And, it, and, in, yeah, and, and in fact, sometimes if you ever do manage to get under the bonnet, you discover that what you thought you were buying really isn't quite as sophisticated as it was sold. Yeah. And you mentioned a really, really good point, which you said something like about, you know, the openness allows for, you know, critique and improvement. And again, you know, things aren't what you say you think they are. But um, I, and all, yeah, and the piece you mentioned as well, wasn't it, you know, to produce knowledge that has what you, I think you mentioned, was it staying power? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, again, you know, it goes back to my, you know, why did I join this thing in the first place, that yeah. the money that's been spent to pay for this analysis is public money. So the, yeah. <laughs> so, so the knowledge that's that's extracted from it should be openly shared. So so we're trying to do that now as a team a bit more. Um, so some of our recent projects we've, um, you know, we've done them in R. We've 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 shared the code. We've tried to produce um, webinars and materials and so on that help people in in how they might apply those locally um but i do think that that of itself is revealing some interesting things that we need to address as an nhs so you know we come across analysts whose organizations won't let them install r on their computers 
So, you know, that's like saying we employ surgeons in this hospital, but well, no, we won't let them have scalpels. Yeah. No, you know. So, so, so there's a whole bunch. I think we need to do a lot to raise to raise the level of understanding across the NHS about just how advanced the analytical discipline is now, and and also what the fundamental tools are that analysts need to do their job. Yeah. Um. And and we need to make those available if we're serious about having an NHS that's powered by data insights. Yeah. And do you know, following up with that investment for training as well? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. You, yeah, absolutely. We yeah, be yeah. completely um, almost profligate in our support for training. And I'd, you, and I'd rather my people went off for a day a week training, frankly, because yeah. they'll, they'll get better. Yeah, and it, it pays dividends. And just for, for our listeners on, on, <laughs> on this, <laughs> the decision support unit may be something new they may not have heard, but, you know, Peter, the decision support unit has got a, you know, its ambition is, 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 do you want to tell us a little bit more about it? Because it's quite a, quite a unique uh, sort of service you have there, which I think people would lo- love to hear about. Yeah. Decision support unit. Mm. Um, okay, so, so this, is a, it's a mid, this is an initiative across the Midlands region at the moment. Um, yeah. and, and it has started, so it's real, it's not just a sort of fantasy, but it's in its early stages. Um, so the idea is that um, each of the new systems, STPs, integrated care systems, whatever today's preferred terminology is, um, that, that to operate they'll have some, they will, they will create for themselves a team in whatever way makes sense for them to do it, um, that is a focal point in their system for strategic analysis so that's kind of the analysis to address their important questions yes. um, evaluation you know, when they actually decide to do something is it having the effect they intended and how to adjust to it um, use of evidence and then knowledge and knowledge exchange so the idea is that each of the each system has one of the a decision support unit and they they also then can take on the role of 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 um of uh, sharing those skills, developing those skills more widely within their own systems. But then each of these decision support units networks. Um, So we've created a decision support network for the Midlands region, Mm. but it's a network that that is actively supported and coordinated and has a development centre. And in our particular instance, it's my team, the strategy unit that's been given that role. So the development centre has a kind of knowledge exchange remit, understand what the constituents are working on, gather useful products from that and make sure they're easily shared. So, you know, there's already plenty of examples where we've quickly worked out that place A in our patch has conducted a high quality evidence review around, I don't know, um, uh, equity in relation to flu vaccination programmes. Well, just share, yeah, just give, yeah, give it yeah, across. Yeah. You know, why why have everybody try and do the same thing if one place has done it? Um, but also with a with a view to share code, analytical mm-hmm. code. So can we get to a point in the future where we can build up enough confidence across this network so that if Place A does a good bit of work on I mean, I, I, I service activities that can be conducted in a community setting rather than a hospital. If place B is interested in that, then they can easily 
lay their hands on that and know who's done it. So there's a knowledge exchange function. There's an education function. So we're running a series of educational learning sets, really. And at the moment, they're kind of particularly analytically focused. So we've got a learning sets already started on system dynamics modeling. We're about to kick them off on quasi-experimental methods, machine learning, um, those sorts of topics, but also an analytical leadership program. Um, we've got an evaluation network. We've produced a, an initial guide and sort of series of supporting materials about ways to to conduct evaluation and approach it. And we'll be developing training and education programs in relation to that too. Um, decision making in the face of uncertainty. A series of, we, we, we've identifying a series of methods that people can use to support complex decision making. Not identifying again, they're they're well known, yeah. but you know, multi-criteria decision analysis, Delphi approaches, whatever it is, create a kind of toolbox and then then help people understand the sorts of situations where those methods can be useful and make sure they're supported in learning them and have the capability to facilitate people in going through them. And then also a small number each year of regional analytical projects that are selected by the membership because it's become a membership, what's actually happened is that yeah. each of our ICSs is paying for this development centre on, on a subscription basis. So the three projects, I can't remember completely off the top of my head, but just to give you an example, so we're doing one project at the moment that's mapping out equity across planned care yeah. and trying to understand the points at which inequity occurs from presentation through to treatment on a comprehensive basis. We're doing another one on another equity one, actually equity in relation to child and adolescent mental health services and trying to help people understand the impact on life chances and to model that through of inequitable access. And then read the first one we published was around end of life care. So, and in each of these instances, what what is produced is a bespoke piece of a bespoke report for every system, along with all the code, along with a series of materials in terms of how they might apply it. Um, and you, yeah, so people can see that one actually. That that one's on on our website. That that, that so people uh, with all the again with the code. So if anyone wants to replicate yeah, that analysis anywhere across the NHS yeah, and they know how to use R, then they can. Fantastic. Um, so so that so that's that's what it's about. Um and we've got so we've got all the systems bought into it. They're all at different stages, of course, in as you'd expect. But we've we were also working with other partners, so ADAS, um, you know, the AHSNs, various other parties. We've got two people from public health, regional intelligence seconded into the work with us. So, so we've made it a premise from the beginning that this is about system level, yeah. system operation rather than exclusively. Yeah. And, and and we've got an analyst network. So, so there's well over 300 analysts now in the Midlands who are actively part of the network. We run fortnightly huddles for them. And those huddles range from sharing local pieces of work through to national present presentations, but also international. We had a team doing a thing the other day from the University of Texas on application of statistical process control methodology to 
epidemic modeling. So we try to make it really interesting and exciting for participants. Accessible. Yeah, <clears throat> and very accessible. And the idea with the regional uh, projects, you can start getting that spread across the network very quickly, can't you? Yeah. Yeah, and and also just use them as um, use them as examples of how to set about doing those types of projects. Because it is there is there are a set of skills to. To start from scratch, to say, okay, we want you to do a piece of work that really throws light yeah. onto the question of equity. Not, not, don't just produce us some some charts. We want a serious piece of work that absolutely yeah. unpacks the drivers of equity across the entire plan care pathway for a region. Um, so I think it's quite useful for analysts to be able to sit alongside my team, if you like, in that instance, in terms of how do you actually set about a project like that? Mm. Those are really big pieces of work. Yeah. And, and what's the thought process? How do you build it? What do so so it's part of it's about teaching some of the craft skills of constructing com you know, comprehensive yeah. analysis, if you like. Yeah. It's an amazing initiative, isn't it? It's really good, isn't it? You mentioned you've got system dynamics, machine learning and you know analytical leadership. All of that is it on your website and they uh, our listeners would listen to or sort of plug into. Um well uh, no those 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 programs analysts yeah. the analysts in our region have to have to join yeah, and they have to be nominated by their systems or at least supported by their systems to join them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure the materials we produce will all go up there because that's our standard approach. Um, I mean, there are a couple of examples of recent work we've done on SD modelling actually for mental health and um, both of which, again, we produced as code for people to use across anywhere in the NHS if they wanted to. They're on the strategy unit website, those ones. Um, yeah, the, the other thing I would just say to analysts to get involved with, uh, I, do, I do think that um, R is a very important thing. Yeah. I say that as someone who, who doesn't, who had never used it and wouldn't have a clue how to do it. But it's patently obvious to me that it is a really fundamental dem democratizing factor for analysis and a, and, a, and a way and it's a very powerful tool and um, Professor Mohammed Mohammed in our team leads the NHSR community which has been funded by the Health Foundation and yeah. they've just had their annual conference this year I think a thousand people were involved in that and they bring people from across the world to show the ways in which they've developed interesting use uh, they, they've basically created tools through through R which are then just openly available to people um, so I would really say that yeah. to anyone who's building an analytical career in the NHS and wants to be part of this bigger journey of building knowledge get yeah. yourself into a situation where you learn how to use that yeah, and use it Great bit of advice there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and in your career, looking back, what, what's the one thing you'd known you wish you'd, you'd known before you began your career? <laughs> <laughs> Crikey. What yeah. did I do? Um, what did I wish I'd known? 
I wish I'd known. <laughs> this, is, this is a little convoluted answer, but... I wish I'd known that some of the most interesting places to do what I thought, the work that I thought was important, yeah. actually sit outside of formal structures. So um, I spent a very long chunk of my career, and I'm glad I did, but I, in a way, but I did spend a lot of time doing things like being a director of strategy in an, in an SHA and all this type of stuff. And I met some great people and it was all very nice. But I also spent a huge amount of time on pointless things that had no value. And um, and so um, I've, I've had a lot of, I've felt a lot more value in what I'm doing over the last few years when I've managed to break out of some of that. Yeah. And, and, and so I would, I don't know quite how it can do it, but I would really encourage the NHS to think a lot more about how it can free people from the constraints of, of its processes and its bureaucracy and, and stimulate a much greater creative relationship between, in particular, I would say, the clinicians who know, who've got the subject knowledge and in this instance, the analysts who've got the technical skills to work with those clinicians on useful questions. Yeah. And I would love to do as much as possible to remove all the intermediaries in that process. Yeah. About busting down the bureaucracy, isn't it? Yes. Free, freeing up that <laughs> yes. creative. And, and I should confess at that point that I, I've built a career out of being an intermediary. So I've just <laughs> I've just basically wiped myself out of existence. But but I in my I I don't suffer easily, but it is a source of depression for me when I talk to some fantastically motivated clinicians who are struggling to get access to, to basically, they, they know there's some known unknowns in terms of, if you like, there are things where they can see there's an important question to be answered and they need help to answer it. And yet the, the route they have to navigate yeah. to get through to find someone who can actually help them answer that for a relatively small amount of resource is painful to see so i would just like to i just like to again in, say to analysts get get yourself into any role where you can be working alongside your clinicians to help them answer useful questions um and i hope the nhs will start to see the value the value in that and and you know get away from you know, what we had recently, I don't know, 75%, 80% of analytical time in the NHS spent on contracting ping pong yeah. or performance management theatre. Yeah. Let, yeah, let's let's get our analysts focused on trying to answer useful questions about how we can improve services for patients and improve population health. Powering them and giving them the autonomy. Yeah. Mm. That's really good. Um, um, Peter, just having a look, you know, thank, thanks for, for joining us, some, some really amazing insights. And just looking at your enviable, looks like a vinyl collection in the back there. What do you do outside of data analytics to, re to relax? <laughs> Pile up records. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I don't do data analytics, I have to confess. Oh, yeah. uh, music is my, is my passion. Oh, okay. I should confess classical music, or classical music yeah. would probably terrify people. Um, gardening. Um, and uh, and I, in the old days, I used to do, really enjoy doing trekking, but um, it's not quite so possible to do that these days. But um, yeah, those, those I'd probably list those. Plus, 
plus watching all the um, cartoons that a six-year-old child likes to watch. So I'm on my, I think I'm on my 35th run of um, Hotel Transylvania 2 uh, in the last week. So I know that one very well. <laughs> so those are my interests. Yeah. Keeps you grounded. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, listen, it's been lovely, lovely to, to spend time right. with you and, and thanks for the, uh, the insight. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. And anything I said, I deny responsibility, especially <laughs> anything that appeared critical of yeah. the organisation I love to work for. And we'll make sure <laughs> we put your we'll make sure we put your blog on on the end with a link because uh, it's really worth a good good yeah, read. There. And yeah. I, please, if people are interested, have a look at some of the bits of analysis on on our website because you'll you'll see the kinds of stuff that the team does, and and there are there's some nice bits of work there. Um, I think. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Nice to speak to you. So I'd like to thank our speaker for joining us today and for everybody else tuning in to this podcast. Uh, Look forward to seeing you in the future.